from representing his country of South Africa at the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996 to becoming a serial entrepreneur with multiple exits uh, and influencing not just one, but multiple tech sectors such as artificial intelligence, blockchain, fintech, business intelligence, and taking that experience and bringing it back to his first love of sports. Today, we're talking to Gary Boddington, who happens to be my co-founder at Playwise. You're going to hear us talk about Smart Athlete Manager, Sports Tech Group, that's just an indication of how fast tech moves. When we recorded this episode, that was the name of the company. That was the name of the platform we were building. Fast forward to today, we've rebranded it as Playwise, playwise.io. We just launched the platform for rugby this past week, and great things are coming down the pipeline. Three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Founder Journey. Uh, really excited today. I've got uh, one of my business partners, Gary Boddington, joining us uh, from uh, where are you? Sun Peaks right now, uh, <laughs> living the leisurely life of an entrepreneur. Uh, a little bit about Gary. Gary is a expat South African. He's a Canadian citizen now. Uh, he is also a former Olympian, uh, something that uh, you don't see often. Olympians come back into uh, the workforce and, and diving head on into entrepreneurship. So Gary's going to be able to share some of that journey with us. Uh, I'm also proud to say he's a co-founder and he is a CEO of uh, Sports Technology Group, uh, co-founder alongside myself. And uh, we've been doing some great things in the sports entertainment world. And we'll dive into that a little bit uh, uh, into this conversation as well. But first, Gary, welcome to the show. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Roy. It's great to be here. Um, and what a pleasure to, to shoot the breeze with you for a while. So um, you know, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm not sure how far back you want to go. I guess I'd be considered a mature entrepreneur. Um, but I, seasoned, I, I, seasoned. A se- seasoned, seasoned, okay, seasoned <laughs> entrepreneur. So I, I'll drive one back all the way to, to my roots back in South Africa. As you mentioned, I, I, I was formerly an Olympian, although people nowadays wouldn't believe that. Um, but I, um, I, I kind of spent a number of years in competitive sports. And at the end of that, um, I'd come out of that and really looking for something to do um, on my own. I kind of I felt at that stage that I'd, I had a, an inkling I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. After the, I was at the Atlanta Olympic Games, I took three months off and, and myself and my wife traveled around America and we kind of just thought about what we should do next. And I went back to South Africa and actually I started off just doing, um, I did a, a, a presentation to corporate organizations around the similarities or the analogy of um, uh, discipline in sport and principles in sport and how how easily transferable that is into the into the work life um, in terms of managing teams and I did that for a while but I, the reality in, in the corporate training world I enjoyed it I loved it I really enjoyed the presentation side of things but it was it became quite repetitive for me but it, and it wasn't something that was really challenging ultimately I wanted to do something like build a product or build an organization and Fortunately for me at the time, I, I, uh, and this is, I guess, the story of my, my career is I've, I've managed to team up with some really smart people because I, I'm not going to, I don't classify myself in the, in the smart technologist uh, category. I'm more in the idiot user category that understands what pain points are and can kind of translate that, that into information that, that developers can code. And I, I teamed up with um, two guys back in South Africa who became my partners in an in a early business. We built a what was in those days was a kind of, we call it a celebrity portal for one of South Africa's top cricketers. He was a very well-known guy internationally in cricket. Um, and that worked really well. Uh, but, but unfortunately he was traveling a lot of the time um, and he couldn't really get involved in updating the platform. So 
one of the things that really worked for us out of that was was he was continually invited to go and do guest speaking keynote uh, addresses and that type of thing. So we spun out a website called Guest Speaker, which actually to this day is still going 20 years plus on. Uh, we're very proud of that. Um, and it really aggregated about 400 more, more of South Africa's top uh, sports celebrities and TV celebrities and radio celebrities and that type of thing. And, and we're just, we really just made the process of finding those celebrities easy. And we did the, the documentation and the matching and that very quickly and easily and efficiently. And it was a really nice business. And just again, for our audience, that was 20 plus years ago. That was 2000s. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, connectivity and, and access to people was, was just starting to version online, let alone in South Africa, where uh, you guys were launching this. So exactly. It was very really compelling days. stuff that you're putting together. Yeah, it, it was. It was very early days and we were learning a lot. And to be quite frank, I, uh, I mean, a lot of people on this that maybe listening to this won't recall, recall these days, but I, I only f sent my first email from the Olympic Village in 1996 in Atlanta. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever sent an email to anybody. Um, so yeah. that's just so of, the that's audience doesn't think that, that that's because you're old. That's just because that's that was the, the time when it just started. People were just starting to send emails. Exactly. Uh, and, and people were still using fax machines and, and uh, photocopiers quite a bit back those days, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then yeah, I took a bit of a meandering turn then because we, fortunately, as I said, for me, my, my partners, uh, one guy in particular had done some work with automating um, database data from a SQL database into Microsoft Excel on the front end. So, um, and so we started automating the process on, on guest speaker, which was uh, our, our celebrity portal. Um, and, and we realized it actually was quite a useful tool because a lot of people in those days, some will remember a product called Crystal Reports, which is actually a Vancouver-based company. And uh, and everybody used to use, for their, their corporate reporting, they used to use Crystal Reports, but ultimately used to go export to Excel so that they could start manipulating data in a spreadsheet. And we just realized that actually we could automate the process between a database and Excel, which is what we started doing on our own database. Uh, and then we realized that uh, this, was a, this was a universal pain point that we actually had kind of stumbled into fast forward a couple of years and we started to focus on on accountants industry and this is how you meander into it as an entrepreneur we none of us were accountants but we recognized that we did recognize very early that accountants were addicted to excel so we thought as a target market that's who we should go after and um so we then subsequently sold that was our first exit we sold guest speaker um uh, it wasn't a huge exit for us but it was a first taste of an exit and kind of understanding the process and uh, the team that were running it for us bought it from us. Um, and then, yeah, basically we focused on accounting and we were very fortunate in South Africa. There's like simply accounting or like QuickBooks. Um, there was a product in South Africa called Pastel Accounting, uh, which had probably 150,000 companies running, uh, were running that, that particular accounting product in South Africa. And so we automated the, this reporting tool of ours on top of, um, on top of that accounting package um, by then it had become a product. It was called Alchemix. Um, you know, we'd done, we'd been through the processes of, of operationalizing. We'd built a team uh, up to that stage it was probably about 40 people or so. Uh, and fast forward that process, we, we got very lucky that, that, that organization in South Africa was acquired by a large international accounting company called Sage. Uh, through that relationship, Sage globally picked up what we were doing for accountants and for their install base. And we ended up then ripping across um, a number of the uh, platforms in Sage. So there was ACPAC in those days, which is now Sage 300. There was simply accounting. There was 
Peachtree down in the US. There's Mass. There's a whole bunch of these ERP and accounting platforms, which we could then just copy and paste our solution to. It sounds easy now. It wasn't as easy in, that, uh, in those days, but we kind of copied the solution onto those. And that's ultimately what brought me to Vancouver. So we were running, we had a footprint here in North America. We had a footprint in Australia and a footprint in Africa. Um, and we were trying to run it out of South Africa and it wasn't working because of time zones and other issues. So I came to Vancouver on a, on a two-year plan to set up the office, set up a team and, and kind of run the operation across North America to get the channel working. Um, did that. Arrived in Vancouver with my family of four and four suitcases on a two-year plan. And um, 10 years later now, I'm, I've moved houses a few times and I live in some peaks and I'm a Canadian citizen. So, yeah, but yeah, basically from there, we, we kind of fast forward 12 years. That, that took us 12 years to become an overnight success. Um, so so that, is it safe to say that that Alchemax became the fundamental pieces of the business intelligence arm of Sage? It became Sage Intelligence, yes. So, so there were a number of players around the Sage stable. Um, we kind of looked, we worked more in the smaller and mid-sized organizations and the higher end of the ERP platforms within the Sage stable had, uh, had other tools as well. But yeah, yeah, it became, Alchemex was actually acquired by Sage and it was renamed um, to Sage Intelligence. That was, I, I went on, so I, I kind of, my claim to fame is I've probably signed just about every agreement you can with Sage. You know, I've signed an ISV agreement, an OEM agreement, an acquisition agreement and a master service provider <laughs> agreement. So, um, end to end. End to end, yeah. And so ultimately, as part of our acquisition deal, I was required to go in, as part of the earnout, I was, I was required to go into Sage and, and as a, I was a card carrying member of Sage for a couple of years. Um, yeah, and then, then, uh, then I'm in Vancouver and, I, and uh, I'd been back in the Sage world. And, and you know, once you've been an entrepreneur, you, it's, it's a drug, you can't get rid of it. Um, I, I wanted to get back into doing something on my own. I had a few ideas in those days. We, so that product was very much a desktop product. Uh, and this is probably seven, eight, nine years ago now. And you, you could see the cloud coming, never mind blockchain and AI and all this other stuff that's available now, but you could see the cloud coming. So people were still were, were pivoting off desktop technology into cloud, which is still going on to this day. But um, And I just saw that coming and I wanted to get involved in it and I wanted to be a part of the cloud, kind of the early cloud um, um, activity. So I left Sage and... And fortunately for me, I walked into this new startup um, in Vancouver on West Hastings called Launch Academy. And I met you and a couple of other guys. And, and um, so, and that's been a great, um, I'm very fortunate and I'm, and I'm very grateful that I met you guys when I did, because I didn't have the network um, in Vancouver at all that I, you guys have introduced me to. So I'm very grateful for that. And, and then I just started getting involved in advisory and doing some board work, advisory work, mentoring work. We then co-founded, I, I always, you know, for the years of doing what we had in Excel worksheets for, for organizations, automating Excel workbooks, we were doing you know, financial reporting, operational reporting, sales reporting. But the one common thing that stood out all the time was that small businesses don't actually understand cash flow. And I think that's a common issue. Everybody knows it, that small businesses get on with whatever they're doing. They're not accountants. They don't understand cash flow. They don't necessarily understand the difference between revenue and cash flow, which is something that I think is important for all entrepreneurs to get to understand as, as deeply as possible. And, and um, so, so our co-founded, you were involved in this process too, and a co-founder yeah. with some really smart people here in Vancouver, an artificial intelligence company that really looked at developing prescriptive analytics on, um, uh, on cash flow for small businesses. So yeah, so we, let's take a, like, take, take a little step back here. So I remember you came into the launch office and, and you were introduced by Matt Smith, the uh, uh, co-founder of Thinkific at the time, and, and now he's co-founder of uh, Later.com. 
uh, and you're like, hey, I want to get connected to entrepreneurs. And I remember saying, careful what you ask for. <laughs> and I threw <laughs> entrepreneurs at you left and right and say, okay, hey, talk to Gary. This is a guy that's exited. He's, he's about data and analytics, which we love. And um, I remember throwing a number of companies at you. And then uh, you joined our team at LX Ventures. And, and that's when you and I really started working together. And then we had this concept about the ghost CFO. Uh, yeah. somebody helping behind the scenes and, and helping these entrepreneurs figure their, their shit out and, and understand numbers and, and data and analytics. And that then morphed into uh, Mentio. And, yep. and you kind of, but you actually really brought the team together there. Like, yes, I was a bit of a co-founder. We germinated the idea and got things off the ground, but you brought in Monique, you brought in um, Sean. Mark, Sean. And then, yeah. um, so, so Mentio, um, then morphed into well got acquired uh and then you were free to start looking at uh, other opportunities and that's when we brought you on into um, uh, btl blockchain technology group so tell us about you diving into blockchain how did that come about yeah that's and again uh, i'm grateful to you and the people that i've met and yeah matt smith and all of the smith brothers and all the people that i've worked with in vancouver i've kind of just bounced around met a lot of people and and it was actually alex ventures you probably remember the meeting you were sitting in i think my responsibility was to try and find fintech investments uh, for alex v um, and um, for alex ventures and in one of the discussions one Monday morning, I think it, uh, you guys said, Gary, this bit, this Bitcoin thing is out. Um, so that's, that's FinTech. So that must be you. So go and find out what it's all about. Uh, this is I, 2013. I'm, so just yeah, probably, to yeah, put a timestamp yeah, on it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm, and I'm eternally, eternally grateful for that as well, because I, I really come from an age group where still to this day, my, my contemporaries still think, yeah, Bitcoin is a drug runner's money only. It's like the early days of the internet. Everybody said that's for porn, that's for porn distribution only. You know, don't touch it. Porn and gambling, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, and the same things happening in, in in with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. But so so what what I did is I just thought, okay, I've got no idea what that is. I, I've got to go and find out. So I, like most people that got involved in the space in the early days, you you just I just I, I would dive in and just read as much as I could. Fortunately, on West Hastings, there was a place called Decentral. Some people might remember it, but it was really early. It was early days and a, and a whole bunch of the early community got together there. And it was a, literally a basement dungeon on West Hastings. Uh, if it was a movie, there would have been cigar smoke and like a really, <laughs> but a great bunch of people and incredibly smart people. I mean, a very, very technical uh, audience or group. So I, I was the old guy in the room asking the question, like, who's going to buy this? How do you sell this thing? How do you package this stuff? But asking um, the right I, questions, right? Like the, the, the fundamental business questions. Yeah. You'd hope so, but, but your fundamental business questions. And the reality is I didn't understand the technology well enough. Um, and I still don't understand the deep dive technology, but I did. I, I recognize now that at the time, the technology was not sophisticated enough yet to be able to answer those how do you get to market type of questions. And even to this day, a lot of this, you know, there's still a lot of, anyway, We can we, if we get time, yeah. we can go into that and, discussion. And, and you, you also had like a front row seat to... Uh, a very notable person, Vitaly, coming in and talking about Ethereum and, and what that well, concept was. Right? Exactly. I think that, that that really, for me, there were a couple of people there that were very influential on me, even though I didn't really recognize that the, a, lot, a lot of it was in those days was proof of work, proof of stake. They're having these very technical arguments. I didn't really understand it, but there were some people in the room that I thought, okay, th- this is impressive. And that, that particular day, I was in a room Vitalik Buterin came to town. He's, he was 17 or 18, whatever he was. He was waving his Ethereum white paper. 
trying to get people to buy in literally in the dungeon on West Hastings. And, uh, and I listened to the guy talk. And if you've heard him talk, you can understand that he's, he operates at a way different level academically and every other way that I can possibly think. But, but I just got the sense that there's something. Uh, so this was Ethereum, never mind Bitcoin. And I got the sense that something special was going on there. I mean, I, I couldn't get a couldn't get a handle on it, but you, you could see that this is this was going to be transformational. So I hung around, and, and then fortunately, you introduced me to um, uh, BTL, which ultimately became Canada's first listed blockchain company. And a long story there. If we if we get time, we can dive into all of that history. But that um, yeah, that kind of evolved into two crazy projects. One of which was. Uh, we did, we did an, uh, an interbank cross-border settlement project with Visa and six European banks. And, and the one of the world's was, first. One of the one world's, of the world's first. first. Yeah, that hit the front yeah. page of the, of the FT in London, and, and suddenly our phones would just ring off the hook after that. But it was really the pain point was trying to resolve why does it, you know, why does it take you three days to transfer money globally, uh, bank to bank? Uh, and we addressed that pain point by literally taking three days down to split seconds with, uh, with a new layer of technology. Uh, and then the other one, which kind of feeds into where I am now is was also really an eye opener for me. We we worked with we created an energy trading platform uh, for these energy giants that traded the, the commodity there was natural gas, um, and the pain point was ninety percent of their trades were mismatched, which just sounds crazy. But again, it goes back to the spreadsheet thing. So the reason why their trades are mismatched is because they'll trade all over the world with with counterparts, and then to try and reconcile the trade, they lose track of spreadsheets or whatever it is. And we took that, long story short, we took the pain point of 90% of their trades are mismatched to we rendered the concept of reconciliation as obsolete. And that, uh, and when you think about that, you say, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's particularly from an accounting and auditing world, people say, how can you render reconciliation obsolete? But that's just the reality of what what's going on. And that that really was eye-opening for me. And I, I realized that this is, this is, transformational technology um and and uh yeah so sorry it's been a it's not even a not even a long story short or long story <laughs> long this is just a long story um but that gets to us where you are today and and, and you yeah. saw that technology and this is why i bought onto it is is that um and, and why we created sports tech and you saw that technology you saw the impact it had in the financial world but you, as a former athlete, knew that there's a lot of corruption, a lot of challenges and issues and, and uh, lack of transparency in the sports world and the entertainment world when it comes to agents and players and teams and leagues. Uh, and, and you knew that there's a better way to solve that. And that was with the technology that you had firsthand knowledge building. And so tell us about sports tech and, and the, the status of the sports industry and where it is today. Yeah, so that, that might be a long story as well. I'll try to keep that short. So, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's kind of, yeah, I got to the I'll, point where- I'll rein you in if it gets too long. Yeah, <laughs> where, where, yeah, I'm at that stage in life where I really, you know, what, what I want to do for, do, do I want to have another swing of the fences as, a, as an entrepreneur again? Yeah, as I said earlier, it's a drug. I, you, you, can't, you can't stop it no matter how many times you've done it, you've succeeded or failed. And, um, but, I, but I just, and at the time, I was talking to, you could see the, you could see this technology was transformational and literally we were doing, we were in boardrooms or we were talking to people in healthcare and insurance and shipping and logistics and supply chain and, and all these different verticals. And, and the reality is, is, well, two things struck me. One is none of them really blew my hair back anymore in terms of the subject matter with respect to those verticals. Um, um, but also you can't be a specialist in all of them. So I needed to get some focus in what do I actually want to be? So 
uh, and I got right back to where I started. So that is a long story, but it goes back to the beginning. Is that I, I, I'm, I was an athlete. I love sports. I, I, I've had a, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the career I've had in technology. I want to merge those two things. So lacking, lacking in imagination for, for the name of an organization, we call it Sports Technology Group. And, but, but uh, yeah, so the, the challenge- the Creative geniuses always, that you and I are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we hadn't had enough beer that day. Um, the, the, the challenge is you can't just say, okay, well, we're going to just build, well, now with Sports Technology Group, we've got the solution. You've got to find out what the pain point is. What is the use case that we're trying to address? So we spend a better part of a year probably doing customer discovery um, around sports organizations. Uh, and those were multiple sports codes across multiple sports, geogra uh, multiple geographies and looking right through the, the user persona stack as well. So talking to executives, talking to agents, talking to scouts, talking to most predominantly athletes. And a common denominator came out. And there's, there's common themes with regard to the industry, to, to your question. There's a lot of, lot of investment and a lot of um, thinking and strategizing going around, along, around fan engagement, which is for obvious reasons. You know, a lot of sports organizations right now, they're getting no parking revenue. They're getting no ticket sales revenue. No one's buying hot dogs and beers. They're getting no bums in seats. So how, how, do you, how do you retain or engage fans now that, COVID has literally changed the world. So there's a, there's a lot of, and technology can help enormously there. But there's, um, there was also a lot of uh, stadium optimization, which is related 5G and, and how do you optimize the stadium experience? And um, there's a lot of effort going into wearables. But a common denominator kept coming up that, that athletes are very poorly managed. Uh, and long story short, we, that's kind of where we decided to focus on addressing that issue. And we have built a platform now called Smart Athlete Manager, which really seeks to address that is, is, is create the efficiencies, much like we did if you, the analogy probably going back a step to the blockchain project that we did with the energy giants. If you think about that ecosystem where there were, there were energy giants in an ecosystem, sport, every organizer, every industry, every sector has its ecosystem. So in the sports world, there's athletes, there's agents, there's clubs, there's scouts, there's parents, there's anti-doping, there's all these people. But it's just a wash with total inefficiency of it's it's just a it's an absolute shit show of yeah, it's, it's, of it's, it's work, just, it's, WhatsApp messages, fax, in some cases fax machines, yeah, Excel yeah. workbooks, emails. It's just crazy. In some cases it's 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 a level of bureaucracy, it's a lot of red tape, but it's redundancies, but there's also some nefarious activities and, and there's deception and, and transparency issues. And then one of the things I always talk about when I'm pitching STG is that um, there's there, there's good and bad actors, but there's also a, a young demographic, a young workforce that gets renewed into the sports ecosystem every year because they're constantly re, um, recruiting younger players. And, and a lot of them are coming from third world countries and, and uh, um, their, their education level is not as high, but they, they're great athletes and, and they, they can be easily manipulated. And uh, we've seen it hands down numerous times where contracts are being manipulated without the uh, kid knowing or, or even in front of them doing it without uh, them actually really understanding what they get themselves into. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's, that's one of the things we want to address, but then how do you start to address that with technology? And when you start to see what's happening around, you, you pick an acronym, whether it's blockchain with smart contracts or cryptocurrency and the associated tokens and wallets and AI, ML, VR, AR, all, all of these things, how do, you, how do you now find the solutions to fix those things? Because those are pain points, they are real issues. Everybody in the industry understands that and knows that, but no one's actually been addressing it. It's just, well, let's just keep doing 
the same things we're doing. And that's largely because, and, and I, I blame my own generation, it's my generation that are stifling innovation because the way we've done things is so ingrained. We, if you use a fax machine or a WhatsApp or an Excel workbook or whatever and emails, it's just, well, it's not broken. It works. It's a system that works, but it's just enormously inefficient. And it's, it's my generation that need to, either they need to quite frankly get out the way or they need to get a younger mentor as a, not a mentee, a mentor and ask the younger generation, what's going on? What are you guys looking for? What, you know, there's, there's athletes all over the world that want to get involved and make a contribution. But if the, if the generation that are the incumbents that are the leaders and influencers or leaders and decision makers in sports are not going to change the way they do in business, that's a problem. I, I always say to the, to the, to the executives that I talk to, you say, if, if your boardroom, if you look around your boardroom table at your monthly, quarterly, AGMs, whatever it is, and the people around the, the table are not changing, uh, or the agenda items are not changing, or there's no allocation of budget towards technology, you're going to have problems. You're going to get left behind. I mean, a, a great example is esports, and we haven't even touched on this, but, and, and you and I have spoken about this at length, but if you think about esports athletes now, um, both your professional at the high end, but even the, the, the kind of armchair athletes at home, these, these, this demographic are buying, they will buy a skin for a gun using Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, for example. Um, and if I say that to, to traditional sports executives, they've got no idea what I'm saying. But that generation that are doing that in esports, that is normal. That is irreversible. It's unstoppable. And, and, and so now how do you embrace that? Because if you are a traditional bank or traditional insurance company, you can't, you can't expect that athlete who has just bought, basically they, they buy a virtual asset with a virtual currency on a virtual um, network. You can't expect that person now to leave their house and walk into a branch to sign a piece of paper to open a bank account or to walk into your insurance office and sign a piece of paper to, sign a pre to, to pay a premium. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So the game's moved on, but, but we're in this kind of generational shift at the moment. And COVID, I think, has accelerated, which is... Yeah, definitely. Despite how bad it's been for everybody to, and humanity... It's had some crazy spin-offs which are, are positive and, and we will benefit from in time. Well, I want to be a little bit mindful of time. Um, so, so I want to get back to you and, and your journey. What are some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome? I, I think oh, there's so many obstacles that you have to overcome. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I, I think in the early days, um, when we got going as, as, as entrepreneurs, you know, like the lean startup methodologies and um, they weren't the uni they weren't entrepreneurial courses at university. There weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of people doing entrepreneurial type of stuff. It's not that they weren't entrepreneurs, but there wasn't that sharing of knowledge that's gone on. So that that was we had to learn a lot of what we now know by making some organically some on your own, right? Really stupid mistakes. Um, and, and that's you know I think that's that's one that's something that you you could possibly avoid nowadays by reaching out to people like, like Launch Academy, reaching out to people that have been, this and been there and done that and can share knowledge. And um, I think that was just getting access to information and ex expertise and knowledge is, you know, reach out to a mentor. That's, that's one of the best things I, I didn't do early enough and I, and, uh, I think people should do very, very early. Um, that, apart from that, then it's, it's really some kind of domain, getting domain experience as well, just trying to understand your specific domain. Um, 
learning to focus. Every entrepreneur has a thousand ideas and, and on each of those thousand ideas, there's derivatives and you can riff all day on those. But the reality is you, you, you're not going to succeed if you don't actually get some focus around where you're trying to go. Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles, I think it was one of the one of the questions we were talking about earlier was also just, you know, what's what are some of the downsides or, or, or the taboos of of, um, of of being an entrepreneur? And I, and I think people need to acknowledge that it's a lonely existence, uh, especially at the CEO level. It can be incredibly lonely um, uh, because ultimately the buck stops with you. Um, you, you, you're responsible for the strategic vision, you're responsible for the team, you're responsible for operationalizing the business, you're respons responsible for the, the product to make sure it works. Um, and often it does get very, very lonely. And I, I think that's something where um, I've, I probably didn't do enough of as well. It's just reach, again, reach out to people. There's a, you, you're not alone in this journey and reach out to people. But it's it's hard. It's hard lonely. to, A, it's hard to acknowledge when you are in that kind of a position because you're so just deep into your company and most often when you are in those trying times there there's challenges and problems and fires that you're constantly putting out and, and you, you don't spend enough time focusing on yourself as you do on the problems and everything around you uh, but then even when you do acknowledge that and there is a stigmatism like you as a ceo can't be seen as somebody that's struggling or can't be seen as somebody that's failing because that's a sign of weakness and that investors don't want to invest in something like that and people don't want to join a team where they're struggling and they have challenges but that's the reality that's everybody's in that boat uh and so how do you what's your advice for somebody that uh, uh is trying to or is being faced with challenges and issues and and is afraid to go reach out yeah i think and, and that's if I look at my younger self, I think you certainly at this at this end of my career, I recognize that I, 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 I was not humble enough as a, as a young entrepreneur. I didn't have the humility to reach out to people to say, can, I, can, you, can you help me here? It doesn't matter what the issue is, whether it's, a, it's a, I'm feeling lonely and I need some help just to talk to people or I'm really struggling with putting these financial projections together because these numbers aren't working for me or whatever it might be. And, you know, I, I've, I spent quite a bit of time, as you know, with, with the BC Technology Association, and I, I, spent, I spoke to hundreds of entrepreneurs at different stages of their, of their development as well. And, and, and through my own experiences and through a lot of those discussions, it, to me, I kind of got my own little model that everything boils down to um, three, three buckets, funding people and opportunities. And, and as an entrepreneur, you know, we all face these issues. And if there's a funding challenge, there's normally somebody that can handle that funding challenge better than you. Um, or if there's a people challenge, there are people that have handled it or can handle it better than you. Or if there's an opportunity, opportunities as in, you know, how do, how do I get this thing off the ground if it's early days or how do I get massive distribution at scale globally if you've grown, if you're scaling. There's people that have I've been there and done that. And, and I, I, you know, I probably, I should concede that I, in the earlier days, I wasn't, I wasn't really open-minded enough to, or, or humble enough to say, you know, there's people that know what's going on besides me, and I, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. I don't have the best idea on the planet, even though I did in those early days. I, I would have thought like that, um, but that's not the reality. And, and I, it's, it's a, I guess there's an ego issue involved there as well. And, and I would argue that a lot of our audience members uh, probably don't realize that it, it doesn't matter age, like seasoned entrepreneurs, experienced entrepreneurs face this all the time. Like I myself, I admit <laughs> I'm stubborn or, or I, I don't reach out what I need to. And I put myself in situations that are avoidable. And I 
probably have a greater, deeper network than most people, but uh, I don't leverage it as much as I should be either. Yeah, and it never goes away. I completely agree with you. I was having a conversation with someone the other day as well. Because and, 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 there's also another level where you've got to back yourself as well because you, you, you potentially are doing something that, that is slightly off-piste for what people have been seeing. And, and you've got to back yourself that your idea, it, it might be new and revolutionary and, and out there. Uh, you've got to back yourself that it's going to work. Even, I mean, right now, I, I talk extensively to the sports and esports people and a, and a lot of people you know some of these ideas no i'm not sure if that's going to work or not it, yeah well, it's going to work and, and you've got to Again, back yourself you know. something you hear often like you got to go through 100 no's before you get yeah. to that one yes and, and that one yes could be that make or break and, and you never know um and talking about recent conversations so uh you sent me a slack message this morning about a, a company that essentially is doing something very similar to what we're doing with sam smart our smart athlete manager uh, most entrepreneurs will face this uh, at some point in their career where, oh shit, somebody else has got a better idea or somebody's, somebody's copied our idea or somebody's beat us to the market. To talk us through what went through your head when you saw that. And, and I, I obviously know the answer because you and I had this conversation. It's like this for us is, is it's not a bad thing. It's a benchmark. It's a way for us to have a comparable out there that we can reference and uh, there's differentiators that we uh, see right away that we can take use in our advantage. So th this goes back to the, the get shit done attitude and, and the, basically the, the mantra of launch and then uh, everything that uh, I'm involved with is, is all about just, you got to move forward. You got to look at the positives and negatives and, and just get shit done. Um, yeah. So walk us back through what went through your head before you sent me that Slack message this morning and, and where are you at now with that? I, 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 again, this is a, this is a great example of, of the journey. If I'd 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was, if I'd seen, if I'd been at this stage of development where we are now, and I'd seen this crowd come out and launch, I, I, I don't think panic is the right word, but I would have thought, hmm, okay, this is, this is a, this is a problem for us. But, you know, with the benefit of experience and, 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 and with the benefit of, of, hindsight I, I recognize it I, I was actually excited I was I was very glad to see that there's somebody that looked very much like what we are doing because to me it's just validation of the market and and I, I think what comes with time is is even even if you think that your idea is brand new it's going to be well beaten no one has done it in, in, before in the world um, it's not a bad thing if someone else comes along in the same space and does it because all it's doing is validating what you're doing because and, and so for me, with the discussions we've been having now for two years, I think, okay, great. There's somebody else that's had exactly the same discussion. They get into the same outcomes. They're trying to produce the same things. Um, and that's validation for me that, that we're in the right place. And, the, and, these, and then you start to think, well, how big is this universe anyway? I mean, there's, these guys are focused on, on one of the U.S. major sports. There's, a, there's another couple of hundred sports we can go to. So it's, just, it's a mindset issue, which I think over time, I, again, I've, I've matured into, and, and even if those guys win, uh, you know, if they win the entire market, great. There's still another, there's lots of opportunity around for other players in the market. The other way around is also to look at it and say, well, the second mouse gets the cheese. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of positive ways to, to look at it. Whereas I think, I think in the earlier days, I, I probably would have been a little bit more concerned about, you know, somebody's coming into this turf and we, we really need to think, think long and hard about whether we should be going into the space. And I, I just, my mind is, 
I guess I have a much more mature perspective now on mm-hmm. how big the world is uh, and, and how much space there is for more than one player in, uh, in, in any particular vertical. And any yeah, especially if it's, yeah, especially if it's, yeah, especially if it's a, it's a change in that industry or, or something that requires education of, of the incumbents or the stakeholders. Let that person take the arrows in the back and, and go through that heavy lifting, and you can just swoop in with uh, uh, a, a new solution or a different solution once that market's been educated. Uh, yeah. And and the other side of it is, is ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody thinks they've got the most unique idea in the world. No, like you've seen, you've talked to how many entrepreneurs, hundreds, if not thousands uh, over the years, and um, people have similar ideas or faced with similar challenges and problems around the world. And it's really about execution. Who can take that idea and actually make something happen with it? That yeah. really matters. And, and, and I also think over time, um, I've developed a much more collaborative approach to everybody, whether they're competitors, I mean, collaborate with a competitor or, or, or not. I mean, I, I think... Uh, nowadays in, in this unit, this kind of an economy that is driven by this API universe where you can just push and pull data all over the place and do all sorts of crazy stuff. There's some clever guys doing a whole bunch of smart stuff, which might just be slightly adjacent to what we're doing. And if you work together, both parties can actually benefit. Uh, and, and so I, I have a much more collaborative mindset now as I mature, but also as the technology matures and allows us to be much more collaborative um, I, I think it's it's a better place to be. Is just be open about it. If if a competitor phoned me and said we want to chat, fantastic, let's chat. I, I have no issue. Let's let's find ways that we can help each other. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships. To drop a, a terrible cliche, but you know why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, Gary, you and I could probably riff on this for hours and then just yeah. keep going. But uh, I'm pretty sure our listeners are getting <laughs> tired here listening to us talk. Um, <laughs> I want to kind of wrap it up with uh, anything that you want to do um, last tidbits or things that you want to talk about. No, I, I agree with no. you. I mean, this is a subject that we could go on for hours and uh, yeah, it's a fascinating subject. And I love, I love the world of entrepreneurs uh, as, as uh, frustrating as it can be, but um, yeah. So that's actually a good segue. Um, as a founder entrepreneur, what is one tool that you cannot live without? App, tool, service, anything I, that. Uh... I, I'd, I'd hate, to, I don't know if this qualifies to, as an answer, but my phone, because it has all the apps and tools on it. So do, does that qualify? A piece of hardware. Well, it does, because do uh, especially when we look at um, older generations and even the younger generations, the appreciation of how the mobile phone has changed business. Uh, younger generations will obviously take it for granted because they've grown up with it. They don't yeah. know world without the phone, which can be an, an issue when you lose connectivity and, and systems go down or apps go down. Uh, but also the older generation of uh, the realization, and this is what we're facing with uh, Sam and our smart athlete manager is, is going into these older off- or offices with these older executives and telling them there's a better way. And there's yep. uh, technology that can truly really revolutionize your industry. As you mentioned earlier, we, we now live in the interior of BC. So, not in a city anymore, but the reality is, you know, I, I can, I want to drive everything off my phone, whether CRM or banking or accounting or uh, sales pipelines or whatever, everything's on my phone. I can run everything. I can run, and, and our, our development team is between Cape Town in South Africa, Biarritz in France and, and India. Uh, we can run everything for, I can run everything from the phone. So um, yeah, it's crazy. Just the other day I subscribed for a service and, and they wanted to charge me 150 bucks 
for enrollment and then for for kind of an admin process to do um, uh, to to send me invoices effectively. I said, yeah, <laughs> do you know you could I can say that hundred fifty because you can automate that monthly uh, online and that can be automatically reconciled and it's. It's, it's, I guess we work in technology and we work in the back office of technology to understand how these things work. It's just scary that people still don't get Function it. the way they do, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And then and, uh, last piece of advice for our audience, uh, entrepreneurs, young and old, uh, how to function as an entrepreneur founder in, in today's world? Yeah, I don't think it's, I, I think there's elements of that. Obviously, this depends on, on what part of the, of the entrepreneur. There's elements of, technology that that are moving fast at the moment so that's that it's very hard to keep up up to date with all this all these moving parts but but the elements around being a human being as an entrepreneur don't change you you just you've got to you've got to be clear about you've got to be focused on on your goal you've got to be clear about your goal you've got to be disciplined about the work you've got to you've got the, the get you've got to get shit done in a very disciplined way around your goal um and, and you've got to be focused. Uh, just just stay focused on 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 what it is you want to achieve. And and then when people come along and try and tear strips off you because they don't believe it's going to work, you just back yourself. It's it can can and will work. That's that's awesome advice for our audience. Uh, you've given a lot to our listeners. And and um, what can our listeners and, and our audience do for you? Um, I, I I think where where I am right now. Um, in in the uh, sports sector, I, 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 another part that we haven't discussed, I guess, is I, I've always have the view that your network is your net worth, uh, and we work very hard as, as hard as we work on our technology, we also work on our, our network uh, of people, of human beings, because even if we had the very best platform for the sports sector today, it means nothing unless our network of human beings within decision making around sports organisations and federations actually will listen to our story and buy into us and recommend us. So I, 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 our technology is looking really good. It's, we've got a way to go still, so it's still quite a bit of heavy lifting to go. But if there's anybody in, in, that's listening to this that is involved in sports, uh, traditional sports or esports, um, and is a decision maker, or in fact, anybody, anybody that wants to talk about sports and technology and, and is somehow related, whether it's blockchain, AI, VR, AR, I, I just, I love building the network of people. So please, reach out to me or let's have a conversation I, and, and under different circumstances. I say, let's have a coffee, but let's have a, let's have a virtual, virtual coffee. coffee. Or, let's have a, yeah. I, I, and I, what's the best yeah. way for them to reach out to you? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, my profile is on LinkedIn or otherwise my, my email address is gary.boddington at sportstech.io. That's sportstech.io. Gary, thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us. Uh, always you, great uh, connecting. Well, you and I. Talk on a regular basis, but uh, that's really. I hope somebody's going to flip the table on you here and interview you because we should be asking you the questions. <laughs> that's a whole other series on its own. That's <laughs> the, ther the therapy couch. <laughs> awesome, Gary. Enjoy your day. Thanks for taking cool. time today. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Launch Ventures is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Founder Journey, please share this with your friends, family, and other entrepreneurs. If you're ready to start your own entrepreneurial journey and would like some guidance, please head to launchacademy.ca and check out our entrepreneurship course and other online resources like our Launchpad for virtual incubation and mentorship.